The U.S. defense industry is large, complex, and competitive. It is also lucrative for those companies able to navigate it successfully. The American Society of Military Comptrollers helps bridge the gap between the boardroom and the battlefield while supporting transformation in the defense sector. The Business of Defense podcast brings you inside the companies working to achieve this directly from the business leaders and to understand how they create value for their companies and their customers. For more information on ASMC, visit asmconline.org. This is Nir Eyal, author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and you're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal in this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes, I'll do that, and you can find them at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today I'm joined by Nir Eyal, and we're going to talk about his new book, a Wall Street Journal bestseller, entitled Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. Nir is an author, educator, and entrepreneur. In addition to his personal blog, which I'll link to in the show notes, he is a frequent contributing writer for Forbes, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today, writing about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. And he frequently writes about how technology shapes user behavior by creating new habits. A co-founder of two startups, he has also taught at Stanford's Graduate School of Business and Hasso Plattner Institute of Design. Nir, congratulations on Hooked and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. In the book, you mentioned that the book teaches innovators how to build products to help people do the things they already want to do. For lack of a solution, they don't. Right. What's the story that, that led to this book? Yeah, so I was uh, an entrepreneur. I had started two tech companies, and my last uh, tech company was at the intersection of advertising and gaming. And uh, you know, I'll admit to you now that these two industries are reliant upon mind control. You know, these advertisers don't spend billions of dollars for their health. They spend that money because it influences people to buy what they're selling. Uh, Mayor, uh, as an agency guy, I'm going to ask you not to give away too many trade secrets. <laughs> too late. They're already in the book. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Damn it. All right. <laughs> and, and then, of course, gaming. Uh, you know, these, these, these video games or social games are, are designed to change user behavior down a certain path to get you through the game and get you to keep playing. And so I was at the intersection of these two industries. And, and, and what I noticed was that there was a lot of psychology being used but there wasn't really a guidebook. It's not like when you start in the ad business, they give you a book to understand the mind of the consumer. There, there wasn't. I couldn't really find one that really told me how to build better products and services. I saw that people in the gaming industry were kind of copying what other people were doing or what had worked in the past, but there wasn't really a blueprint for how do you create products that, that form user habits. And so I was very intrigued by this. I was looking at uh, the rise of companies like Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram and WhatsApp, these companies that kind of came out of nowhere. And yet within the very short period of time, they can profoundly change users' day-to-day habits. And I wanted to know why. What, what was at the core of these, of these products? And so uh, when my last company was acquired, I had some time on my hands and I, I just spent a lot of time in the library looking at, at uh, consumer psychology research to, to try and figure out the best research that I could, I could get my hands on to help explain how consumer habits 
are formed, how our tastes are changed, and how these preferences take hold. And so that that was the core of my research. I, I started blogging about it, and I saw that there was a lot of people who had the same questions that I had. And so I combined my experience professionally with what I had, I had uh, found in academia to write this book. Reading this book reminded me of when I was reading the psychology of influence by Dr. Cialdini, two okay. different, two different books. Uh, <laughs> but as I was reading it, it's as if I was saying, of course, that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm on to these people now. <laughs> yeah, there, there is something to that. I mean, there, there, it's, it's once you understand how the magic trick is done, Yes. It's not so mystifying anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of say, oh, I see. You know, you, you had the ace up your sleeve. Okay, now I get it. Uh, it's not that mystical anymore. And that's exactly the point, that uh, I think it's about time that these techniques that have been used in advertising, in gaming for, for decades now, go to the broader population of marketers and entrepreneurs so that all of us can use these techniques to build products that help improve people's lives. The goal here is to create healthy habits because I really think we're at the precipice of an age where we can use technology to help people live happier, healthier, more connected, more productive lives by using the power of of habits for good. For good, yes. And you talk about that in the book about you know, there's there could be a darker side to this. Um, what kinds of businesses uh, have the most to benefit from building uh, habit-forming products? Right. Well, let me just say that not every business needs to form a habit, that there are plenty of business models out there that deliver a product or service to their customers without requiring a habit, right? You can use advertising. You can use search engine optimization. Heck, you can set up a physical storefront to get customers to your place of business. So it's not that you have to form a habit. When you have to form a habit is when the way that you create and deliver value depends upon unprompted user engagement. So if you think about those companies I talked about earlier, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp and Slack, all of these companies, they rely upon habits. They would go out of business if customers didn't come back on their own. If they had to pay for ads every time to bring people back, they couldn't afford it. They would go out of business. So if that's the kind of company you're working on, then your product has to be designed to bring people back or else you're spinning your wheels. That being said, even if your product doesn't necessarily need to form a habit, there's still a lot you can learn from studying the principles of consumer psychology that that all of us can benefit uh, from making these products better and easier to use by understanding these timeless principles of what makes people tick. And maybe we should start to explain what the this this hook model is. If you could if you could walk through uh, the first one uh, about the triggers. Sure. So uh, a, a hook has four parts, and it's these hooks that make up the backbone of the book and the backbone of my research is around this this model that over time. Uh, creates these user habits. And these hooks are endemic to all sorts of habit-forming products, both offline and online. And these hooks have four basic parts. It starts with a trigger, an action, a reward, and an investment. That's the four parts of a hook. Now, the trigger phase is wh- is when the user receives some piece of information to tell them what to do next. And we most frequently see this as an external trigger. External triggers are things in our environment that tell us what to do click here, buy now, play this, a friend telling you about this great app you should try out, for example, or this great restaurant you should try, all examples of external triggers. Or a leaky roof or... 
Right, right, exactly. Something that tells you what to do. Well, a leaky roof would actually be a, something a little different. A leak, just the act of the leaky roof would be an would need to spark some kind of association that when you see that leaky roof, you instantly think, call one eight hundred roofing. Right, right. right? Or, or when the wife says the roof's leaking, that's the trigger. Do something, right? That would be <laughs> right. the trigger. Now, what you do has to do with an internal trigger, and this is very important. The internal trigger is where the information for what to do next is not in the trigger itself, as is the case with the external trigger, but where the information for what to do is stored as an association or a memory in the user's mind. And so, so what we do when we when we uh, when we are in particular situations, places, routines around certain people. And most frequently, when we experience particular emotions, triggers us to act, triggers us to do these habits. The most frequent internal triggers are these emotions, and not just negative, not just any emotion, but negative emotions. So when I'm lonely, I check Facebook. When I'm unsure, when I'm uncertain, I Google. When I'm bored, I check YouTube or Reddit or sports uh, or the sports sites or news sites, right? These are internal triggers that nobody's telling me what to do, but I have this mental association. I have this, this, uh, this memory in my mind that this is what I do every time I experience that internal trigger. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step of the hook is to figure out what your external triggers are, how you're going to prompt users to action, and to understand what internal triggers your product will be associated with. Mm-hmm. Then the, the next phase of the hook is the action phase. The action phase is the simplest behavior done in anticipation of a reward. Something as simple as scrolling on Pinterest or searching on Google or what could be easier than pushing the play button on YouTube. These very, very simple actions done in anticipation of, of a reward. And it turns out that there's a huge competitive advantage from figuring out how to make that that action as easy as possible to do more than motivation everybody thinks we should motivate our users to do what we want them to do turns out you can get a lot more traction by just figuring out how to make the intended behavior easier Mm -hmm. so then after the trigger comes the action then the reward the reward is where the user's itch is scratched it's where they get what they came for but not only do they are they rewarded turns out that habit forming technologies habit forming products have this element of variability either by inserting some variability, some bit of mystery, or by making something that is inherently variable more predictable. And this comes out of the classic work of B.F. Skinner, right? B.F. Skinner found that variable rewards, that when he gave his pigeons a little uh, food pellet on a intermittent schedule of reinforcement, so sometimes the pigeons would receive the food pellet, sometimes they wouldn't, the rate of response, the number of times these pigeons pecked at this lever, increased. And so scrolling on your Twitter feed or incessantly checking email, pulling to refresh and pulling to refresh or searching the web and finding one article to the next article to the next article or watching a sports game and not knowing what's going to happen next Mm -hmm. or watching a great movie and you can't wait to see the, the conclusion. All of these use these fundamental principles of variable rewards. It's at the heart of what makes things engaging, this bit of variability. Mm -hmm. Then finally, the last step of the hook is the investment phase. The investment phase is where the user puts something into the product in anticipation of a future benefit. So it's not about immediate gratification. It's about some kind of future reward. And the point of the investment phase is to increase the likelihood of the next pass through the hook. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, when I send someone a message, for example, on WhatsApp or any number of different messaging services, I'm loading the next trigger because I'm likely to get a reply. And so that brings me through the hook once again. And then over time, I store value in these products. I accrue value in them. The more I use them, they become more and more valuable to me. So that eventually becomes very hard to leave. Then through successive cycles through the hook, by passing through trigger, action, reward, and investment enough times, eventually I form these associations with these internal triggers so that I don't even need the external triggers. I don't even need to see the ads. I don't even need to see the spammy messages. I just start using these products on my own. I become internally triggered to using these products habitually. Mm -hmm. You talk in the book about how the more effort we put into something, the more likely we are to value it. I thought that was right. really interesting. Can you say more about that? Sure. So this falls into the investment phase of the hook. It turns out there's quite a bit of, of cognitive psychology at work around what drives people uh, to value something they have put work into. It turns out that we value things more highly when we have put effort into them. Uh, so some of this research comes out of uh, a great study that was done by Dan Ariely at Harvard with Michael Norton where he showed that, that, that people who, he calls this the Ikea effect, that when we put effort into building our Ikea furniture, even though it's you know pretty crappy, cheap furniture, <laughs> we, we overvalue that piece of furniture because we built it, we invested in it. Of course it's worthwhile, and of course we're going to carry it from our college dorm room to our first apartment to our family living room mm -hmm. because we made it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we see something very similar online, uh, with technology products, whenever a product asks you for information about yourself, or you're accruing followers, or you're accruing skill, uh, or you're accruing reputation, any of these things, the more you put into the product, the more valuable it becomes to you. So that even when a better product comes along, you talk about how people, they just won't switch. Right, right. So this is the cold, hard truth. When it comes to business in general, but specifically technology products here where I live in Silicon Valley, and that cold hard truth is that the best product doesn't always win. It's not the best technology. It's not the best engineering that necessarily carries the day. Many times it's the best habit. It's the product that just sustains users' habits. For example, Google versus Bing. You know, the Google has overwhelming dominance in the uh, search market, but you know, Bing, it turns out, is just as good when you do head-to-head -head comparisons of Bing versus Google, and many third-party studies have shown this, if you strip out the branding and people can't tell the difference between the search results, it's almost a 50-50 split. People can hardly tell the two apart, and yet we don't even give a chance. You know that Bing will actually pay you to search. They will give you money to search with their search engine, but we don't even, we don't even think about looking at the competitor because we're just be, we become habituated to doing this thing the same way time and time again. Right. So that was one of the many examples in the book where I just thought, that's exactly it. <laughs> they <laughs> right. must hate him out there. Right. It almost wouldn't matter what Bing did today uh, because people's habits are so solidified to searching that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talk about doing uh, research into the internal triggers and how mm. people aren't necessarily going to tell you what they want, which which right. is not, not new to the you know the business world. I think Henry Ford said that when he asked people what they wanted, they wanted uh, faster horses that ate less. Right. Or Steve Jobs, you know, he he, he I think he famously would say that you know people aren't going to be able to tell you exactly what they want. And you talk about revealed preferences. Right. 
and in that, you talked about some of the uh, the methods of going about that. I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about that, uh, particularly as it relates to this this why approach uh, that just right. was very interesting. And you, I think you mentioned Toyota did it. Right. So, so just to be clear, I'm not an advocate for not talking to customers. I, I think that customer development and lean startup methodologies are absolutely essential. That it, it used to be that we would design products by thinking, you know, some some CEO would stand up with a vision and say, I know exactly what customers want. He would send the, the product development team into some closet somewhere and they would work for a year and then they would crank out a product that typically nobody wanted. Uh, you know, and we, we hear about the success stories, right? We have a selection bias based on the people who uh, have, have been thought of to do that, but that, that almost never happens. So we absolutely still have to talk to customers. We absolutely have to see uh, what, what actually is happening in their real lives, what kind of needs they really do have. But then I also suggest that we need to understand their deeper psychology because there are so many inarticulatable needs. We can't always say what we want until we see it there in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so to, to, to do a better job of developing the right thing sooner, to spend less time and money and, and effort on building the wrong stuff, we need to understand consumer psychology. And, and one of the techniques to understand uh, these revealed preferences is to start with this five why analysis, which is not something I've developed. I, I mentioned it in the book, but it's been around for quite some time now, where to understand the root cause or the root need of why somebody does what they do, we have to ask why five times. You know, so we keep asking why. You know, so, so if your solution, if you say, well, why would somebody use my product? Well, they want to get this thing done. Okay, but why? And then why? And then why? What you will end up with at that base level why, if you've done this exercise and asked why enough times and stick with it, you'll get to some psychological need. You'll get to some kind of emotion, some kind of uh, of deeper preference that the review, that the, that the, an you, and some deeper insight around what drives user behavior. Mm-hmm. There is, before we wrap up, there's one other concept you talk about in the book that I was not familiar with, but I've been thinking about ever since. And that is where you talk about vitamins and painkillers. Right. Can you explain to the listener uh, this, uh, maybe it's a Silicon Valley phenomenon, but they uh, or in the startup world where they talk about vitamins versus painkillers and then how that ties into uh, your hook model. Sure. Yeah. So the the common wisdom, what we teach MBAs today is that they, you want to go out there and create painkillers, that painkillers are the kind of products that people can tell you they need, right? Stop my pain. Mm -hmm. They have quantifiable markets and they're eminently monetizable. You can go up to somebody and say, hey, here's a product to stop your pain, whether, you know, whatever that product might be. Do you want it? Yes or no? And they, and they should tell you yes right away. That's a kind of painkiller product. And that's great. Painkiller products are not are not a bad thing. Uh, what is a bad thing is these vitamins, or at least that's the conventional wisdom that that we don't want to make the vitamins. The vitamins, as opposed to painkillers, these are these nice to have products. These things that you know people can live without. If you go on vacation, and you forget to take your vitamin, no big deal. Uh, you know your life goes on without it. Whereas if you're in pain, you need that painkiller right away. So VCs will tell you uh, that they don't want to invest in your company when they deem your product to be just a vitamin, right? So that's kind of the conventional wisdom. Build painkillers, not vitamins. And that's, that's why when people see a product like uh, Twitter for the first time or Snapchat or Meerkat or any of these crazy apps that we, we see today over the past five, 10 years, they're always dismissed at first as vitamins. Who would so, want that? 
Right. Who would want that? So that brings up this really interesting question. If the dogma is don't build vitamins, build painkillers, then how do we explain these massive companies that have generated <laughs> billions of dollars of value and they all started as vitamins, right? Nobody woke up 10 years ago at two in the morning screaming, I wish I could update my status before Facebook existed, <laughs> right. right? Nobody knew they had that need. So the secret is that these habit-forming technologies start out as vitamins. They start out as these pleasure-seeking behaviors. And then by creating habits, they become painkillers. And, and therefore hooked. Right. <laughs> and that's why we're hooked. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, before we wrap up, let me ask you a couple other uh, popular questions. Uh, is there a recent marketing or business book you read that you recommend? Well, it's, it's not a marketing or business book, but it's a book I highly recommend because I think it, it's, it's one of the best uh, explanations of this psychology of addiction, which I think is very interesting. My, now, to be clear, my book is not about addiction. My book is about habits, and habits can be either good or bad. Addiction, on the other hand, is always bad. Mm -hmm. And so the book I would recommend that everyone uh, read because it's just a, it's just a great read, it's, it's called Addiction by Design. It's by a woman by the name of Natasha Dauschul. And it, it profiles what makes casino gambling and specifically machine gambling. So all those slot machines that you see that people are pressing on when you visit Vegas. Mm -hmm. Why are, how are those machines built to be addictive? Not just habit forming, but addictive. And it's, it's a really fascinating read. So uh, that's one I, I'd, I'd recommend. Great. We'll link that up in the show notes. Is there a, a marketing or a business book or any book that you're looking forward to reading soon? Yeah, so I, I'm actually on to this topic of how do we manage distraction. So you could kind of think of it as maybe the sequel to my book, and say, you know, the first book was Hooked. I'm thinking about writing Unhooked. Uh, I'm sorry, what, from, what did you say? I'm thinking no, I'm about kidding. writing. <laughs> you got distracted. <laughs> so so I, I, I'm researching now about how to maintain our focus, how to maintain our attention in a world full of distraction, because. Uh, you know, th these products aren't bad. I'm not anti-using Facebook. I'm not anti-Twitter or email. It's just the, the fact is that these products are so good that it's hard to stop using them. And of course, Hooked explains why. Now I want to do more research into how. How do we recapture our focus and attention so we can actually get work done? So there's a few books in this area that I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, there's The End of Absence by Michael Harris, which I heard is very good. Uh, there's, uh, there's, there's several books, uh, Unplugged. Uh, which is uh, how to live mindfully in a digital world. There's a lot of book in this in this uh, this uh, realm that I'm I'm looking forward to diving into and hopefully picking out some nuggets. That's very interesting. And I was just writing a blog post and I was researching that uh, statistic you hear about how since 2000 the hum average human uh, attention span has dropped from 13 to, to eight seconds or something. I don't know if you've heard about that. <laughs> I, I've heard that. The it's goldfish. the goldfish story. Yeah. 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 I've heard that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, but it's also kind of troubling. And I, I hear more and more people talking about how they want to do electronic detoxes and right. uh, things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting topic. Uh, how do you continue your, your business education. Who who do you follow, and what do you read, and who do you listen right. to? How does how does Near do it? Right. So I, I will read. Uh, I read a, a bunch of blogs. I try and I try and moderate. I try not to go overboard because uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's about doing focused work. And sometimes I find that if I if I 
worry too much about keeping up with other people's th thoughts. I don't have time for my own thoughts. So mm -hmm. uh, put, to put it in perspective, I, I don't think your best source of new ideas is necessarily reading other people's work. I think it's sitting down and thinking about a hard problem long enough uh, to answer these questions that, that, that concern you. Uh, but that being said, you know, I, I will read uh, some people's work. So, uh, you know, I, I, anything that Paul Graham writes is is excellent stuff. I, I will always look out for his articles. Kevin Kelly writes amazing things. Um, I have a whole list of, 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 of authors. Uh, Sanjeet Paul uh, Chopra writes, uh, Chandri, sorry, not Chopra, Chandri writes uh, great stuff at the Platform Thinking blog, which is all about how, uh, how to set up uh, platform businesses. So those are just a few. And then on the personal lifestyle side, uh, James Clear writes uh, about personal habits, and he does a, a very nice job of, of covering how to change our day-to-day our -day habits. Hmm. This is going to be some rich show notes. <laughs> a lot of good links. And, you know, I spoke to another author who's been on this uh, podcast, uh, and he, not all while it was live, but I, I asked him about something like that, the same sort of thing. How does he go about keeping up and it's the funniest thing he said you know when google reader shut down i just stopped <laughs> i just stopped reading yeah and my yeah. and my writing got so much better and i think it had yeah. something to do with you know the obsession with keeping up and, and following all these other people right i think there definitely is something to that 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 we can in fact become addicted uh to keeping up with the news but the problem is it it blocks out uh, the time that we need to actually develop original ideas, which is this focused, boring time of sitting and pondering and chewing on a thought for long enough to come up with something original. Mm -hmm. Nir, how can listeners find out more about you and your book? Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I blog at nearandfar.com. Nir is spelled like my first name, N-I-R, and far.com. And the book is called Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and it's available wherever books are sold. Nir, Thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. Links to everything mentioned are in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe to the podcast newsletter to get notified of every new episode, its show notes, links, and other useful things. Also, at marketingbookpodcast.com, there are about 20 free marketing ebooks on a wide variety of topics that lots of people have found helpful. If you're one of the people who's left an iTunes or Stitcher review, I really appreciate it, and it has more impact than you might realize. A one-sentence review shoots the podcast way up in the listings. Finally, I get such a kick out of hearing from my listeners. It really makes my day. To send a message, just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and click on the Contact Podcast button. Got an idea or suggestion? Maybe I'm doing something wrong? Let me know. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Till next time. Hello, thanks. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going through puberty. I'll, re I'll edit that out. <laughs> Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast.